they would have said, well, I think it could be Elijah. Elijah. Now, that's not necessarily obvious to us, just reading this passage, but to the Jews of the day, and especially when they see him, they're going to think, this could be Elijah. Because there's certain things about him which would have given him that idea. You know, we all, the, the, we all have certain things which identify people to us, don't we? Often now, with us, it's on, on TV shows, it's like catchphrases. Catchphrases of TV characters. So if I, if I sort of go, go, you'll know who that is. Okay. We never use. Okay. Yeah. So that, we get nice. This one's nice as well. We all nice. So what about how you do it? Just say I don't dislike friends that much. Joey and uh, you're fired. <laughs> All right. Even for so you, you just know who people are because of certain catchphrases. So if someone comes on the scene. And they're like going, no! All the time, you're like, it's Homer Simpson. <laughs> it gives an idea. And so, from, even for Bible characters, sometimes we can figure it out by how they look. That's where this comes in. Okay, who, who would you say, my nice 90s PowerPoint cartoon? <laughs> Who's this guy? David. David. Okay, so how do we know he's David? Well, he's got his heart there, he's got his sheep, uh, you know, he's a young, he's a young boy. There you go. There's certain things which would identify you uh, as to who people are. And uh, that was the same, that was the same with John the Baptist. You see, if we turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 18, let's see how it goes. Oh yeah, here we go. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 18, I'm going to move this Anyway, somewhere in King, <laughs> should be verse 8. 2 Kings 1, verse 8. Okay, but up until now, this is going well. Up until now, the king of Samaria, he sent some messengers out, and, uh, he's, and, and but they meet Elijah, these messengers. The king of Samaria is ill, he's sick. And he sends some messages out, and they meet Elijah, and Elijah gives them a message of judgment, actually, for the king. It's not very pleasant for the king. And they go back, and they take back this message of judgment, and they say, oh, we met this guy, we met this man, and he said, you're going to die. And so the king says, well, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? And then they replied, he was a man with a garment of hair, and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king says, that was Elijah! Because that was what Elijah wore. He, was, he had camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And so, the, just by the description, the king knows it's Elijah. So, fast forward a little while, and you start to get an idea. Because at the end of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, there's a prophecy. And there's a prophecy that the day of the Lord is coming. And this is a day when there's going to be judgment and destruction, but it's also a day when the Son of Righteousness will arise. And he says, before that day, God says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you 
before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So you've got this prophecy of judgment, and God says, before that day comes, before the day comes when I'm going to judge you and there's going to be destruction, and there's still going to be some hope in there, but this is a day when you need to be taking how you act seriously, you need to be taking us seriously, I'm going to send Elijah. Then there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. And then John comes. And John starts proclaiming the message of God. And what's John wearing? He's wearing Elijah's clothing. And so everyone's like, this is it. It's Elijah. Now whether they thought he was definitely Elijah or not, of course, he wasn't literally Elijah. Elijah was taken up to heaven, but we know John was born. We know from the other Gospels he was born to Elizabeth. Um, but it's certainly intended to be a sign for the Jews. And I know I've taken a little while to explain this, but we need to understand this isn't just something that's coming suddenly out of nowhere. For the Jews, this is part of their whole story. They've known who Elijah is. They've known what he's done. And they've known that God has said there's this day coming when judgment will come and there'll be a terrible day but the son of righteousness will arise and I'm going to send Elijah and here he is so John comes and he preaches and he preaches the need to repent he warns people he says he's saying your lives have become increasingly godless you've embraced the idols of the day you've just got sucked in to the culture of your day you're just going the same way there's nothing Nothing to show that you're any different to anyone else. And you need to turn back to God. You need to turn back towards God. So Luke gives us more detail about what he says. Luke gives us more detail about what he says. I haven't got all these verses up. I've got some of them and not other scriptures. Um, Luke chapter 3 and verse 7 to 9. Luke chapter 3 verse 7 to 9 gives you some more detail. And he says this, John. John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who want you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Alright, so that's what he says. Can you imagine? Can you imagine us greeting you in this way if you come to our meeting? You're coming on out, and I'll be like, okay, you guys, you bunch of snakes. Come on, what are you doing here anyway? Who warned you to come and seek God? And it's kind of like, whoa, you know, we're not going to be a particularly seeker sensitive church. <laughs> What's going on? Well, John wasn't particularly super sensitive. He, he's like, give it to them. Who are you? What are you all coming? That's his greeting to them as they're coming out. I mean, good start. I mean, the answer is God warned them. God warned them. He'd given them the warning in their heart. He'd given them the warning through the prophets, through prophet Malachi. You know, this guy's here. Elijah's here. Man, we've got to take this seriously. So they're coming and they're, and they're, we need to come out. Because they're not going away when he says you brood of vipers who warned you. They're not like, oh, forget it. 
Well done. Don't want us here. No, I know. We need to take it seriously. We've got to go. Because God's judgment's coming. God's judgment's coming. But there's still hope. There's life. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. But anyone who doesn't produce fruit from God, there's just a promise of destruction. Now what God, what John was doing, what John was doing was totally radical for the day. Now let's not miss this. John was baptizing Jews. He was baptizing Jews. No one had ever done this before. No one had baptized Jews before. The only people who were baptized were Gentiles, non-Jews, people who weren't known as God's people. And if they wanted to become Jews, then they had to do with certain things. They would, they would be circumcision, but they would also be baptism. They could be baptized as a Jew. And, it, and it's like a, an entryway into becoming Jewish. If you were a Jew already, if you were born into the Jewish people, into the Jewish religion, and had Abraham as your father, there was no need to be baptized, it was thought. Why do we need to be baptized? This is for people who aren't part of God's family. There's nothing sweat about We've been part of God's family. But what John was saying, when he was saying, come out and I need to baptize you, he was saying to God's own people, to the Jewish religious people, you can't rely on your Jewishness for salvation. You can't rely on the fact that you were born as a Jew. You can't claim, well, Abraham is our father. Well, so we're okay. He's saying, no, 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 no. You don't rely on that. You can't even rely on that. You can't rely on that. And we too can't rely on being brought up in the church. You know, if we are here on Sunday mornings because well, we've been brought up that way. We've always come to church. We were brought up to go to church on a Sunday morning. Or maybe you're here and you're a, a child or a teenager and you just think, well, that's just what we do. We've come along. Well, that's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. Because we can't rely on that. We can't rely on living as good a life as we're able to live. We too have to repent. We too have to repent in preparation to meet Jesus. Because this was the preparation to meet Jesus. John was the messenger who was preparing a way for the Lord. He was getting people ready to meet Jesus. And sometimes we think we can come and we don't need to get our hearts ready to meet Jesus. We don't need to do anything to meet Jesus. We just come and meet Jesus. But actually, there's a step before that. We have to repent. We have to turn away from our old lives. And we have to turn towards Jesus. Because as people, our default is that we think we're good enough. And we think we're in the right. And we think the problems <coughs> lie with other people. But that's not true. Because each one of us is born with evil in our hearts. And it, and it doesn't just go away. It doesn't just go away. Most of us don't allow that evil to grow and develop to a level where it's un unacceptable to others in society. Actually, society tolerates a lot, which, which the Bible says is not godly. We tolerate a lot. 
And most of us still kind of fit in okay. And then every so often you'll see some people who do and they cross the line. And then we, we, we judge them. And we say, oh, they're terrible. They're terrible people. They're, they're like animals. Those people, how could they do that? We don't recognize that's the same evil that was in, is in our own hearts. Our laws, our social structures, they restrict our behavior. You know, you find out a little bit more. If you ask a question of someone, well, what would you do if you had an invisibility cloak? You know, if you could wear this clothing and you were invisible and you could do anything you want, no one's going to see you. Now, some people, if you have that discussion, they'll start to be a bit more honest and think, oh, wow. Visible and no one knew, then I'd be going and doing this, and I'll do this. But they're all things that we know in our society are probably not good things to do. We can't, they're not the right things to do. You know, and we wouldn't even say some of the things that we know in our hearts we probably want to do. We wouldn't even dare tell it. But if we truly could do that, it would be that we would do. Because that is in our hearts. And it's only the laws of the land and conventions and other people that stop us doing those things. It's interesting to look at events of history and see the things that people do when these restrictions are taken away. You look at Nazi Germany as an example. German people in the early 1940s, they were no more evil than we are. They were no more evil than we are. And obviously not everyone who was German got involved in some of the things, but many, many Germans got pulled into the Nazi party or were complicit in a number of horrible, horrible, horrendous things. Oh, why is that? Oh, the Germans, they were evil at that decade. No, they weren't. Well, yes, they were, but no more than us. No more than us. It's just, they were given opportunity to express what was in their hearts. They were given opportunity to express their hatred. They were given opportunity to express their prejudice and the things. People were voicing it and saying it's okay to have those views. And those things can happen again. And do happen again. And are happening again. In different parts of the world. And people say it's okay. We can, we can treat other people like this. We can hate other people. We can hurt other people. We can kill other people who are not like us. It all comes from the darkness of our hearts. In 1908, the London Times newspaper asked a number of famous authors to write articles answering the following question, what is wrong with the world? And they had a number of people write these articles. And G.K. Chesterton, who was a famous author at the time, he just wrote this. Dear sirs, regarding your question, what is wrong with the world? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. That was his answer. And he was right. He was right. He'd seen it. Actually, we like to blame everyone else. If we really examine our hearts, we know that's there. It's there. We might want, not want to do it. We might try and block it out with all sorts of other things, entertainment, music. But when we sit, can we have peace with ourselves? Many people can't have peace with themselves. They cannot have peace with themselves. They cannot sit without something to distract themselves because when they start thinking about who they are, and what's going on in them? They don't like it. Same as everyone else. Not many people are honest with ourselves. If we search our hearts, we might end up agreeing with Chesterton. And that was John's message to God's people. That was John's message, and they accepted it. 
And so in the wilderness, the very place played a big part in Jews, uh, Israel's story. Every Jew, it says, every Jew came out. The whole of the Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, everyone came out to John. And they lined up and they heard John warn them about judgment. They heard John speaking about sin. They heard John call to repentance and then they repented and they were baptized in the River Jordan. Now that's what revival is really. It's God turning our hearts to him. People suddenly becoming aware that they are rotten to the core and in desperate need of help. Now it's really depressing, isn't it? You're like, wow, man, why did I come out this morning? Just hear this stuff. And preparing your hearts for Jesus. Like John was. John was making a way. He wasn't just saying this to make people feel bad about themselves. He wasn't even proclaiming a final judgment on people, even though that was to come. He was preparing the people for Jesus. He was making a way. For those of us who are preachers, the temptation is to skip over that. We can just be tempted to skip over this hard message because many people are going to reject it. People aren't going to like it. Maybe even some of you are feeling like that. You're like, I just don't believe that. That's not true. But it's only when we become aware of our sinfulness and the truth that we can't really do anything to change our hearts. Only then can we receive the good news of the Savior. Only then can we know that we need someone to help us, to bring forgiveness, to bring hope, to bring a changed life. So the Jewish people came and they were washed clean, but that wasn't the end. That was just the preparation for what God had next. Now John says, after me will come one more powerful than me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. And he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John's saying, I'm baptizing you with water, he's going to be baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Water only washes the outside of a person. These Jews, they were washed. It was like, you've been washed clean, but that's just the outside of someone. Actually, that's not enough. John says, Jesus is coming, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drenches us internally. It comes and meets us in our hearts. It permeates every single part of us. He meets our deepest needs when we receive his baptism. When he drenches our life with his. You see, we're not saved, we're not changed by repenting of our sins. We don't change by saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to do better. I, I, I don't want to live that way, I want to live this way. But if we can't live that way, it doesn't change us. And we can't. We can't live that way without more. We can't live that way without Jesus. We have to receive God's undeserved grace. We have to receive forgiveness. We have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what John's saying. We have to receive the Spirit. We have to have the Spirit in our lives. And it's true for us today. We can't just try and live a good life. We can't just admit our guilt. We have to receive what only God can do. So then in verse 9, we see John, Jesus, come to John. And Jesus is coming to John to be baptized. 
And he goes, and of course, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. Because we've already seen in verse 1 that this is the gospel about Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, we find out and we read later on in the Bible, actually, he is perfect. He's never sinned. He doesn't have this sin in his heart, which outworks itself. He's never been that way. And so, he doesn't need baptism. We read about it, again, the more detail comes in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 3 and verse 14 and 15. Matthew 3, verse 14 and 15. Matthew comes before Mark. Matthew 3. And it says this, Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. He tried to point him off, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, and you come to me? And Jesus said, let it be so for now. It's proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And it says, then John consented. So, John, he's been calling everyone else a brood of vipers. He's been calling everyone else out for their sin. You know, he's, he's a Nazarite. He's He's dedicated his life to God since birth. He's not drunk any alcohol. He doesn't cut his hair. It's a sign he's a, he's a holy man. He's given himself to God. He's trying to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. But when Jesus comes, suddenly John says, oh, he's not aware of Jesus' sinfulness in the same way that he's aware of everyone else's. When he's next to Jesus, John's aware of his own sinfulness. He's like, oh, you don't need baptism. You need to baptize me. Up until then, he's not, he's been the one baptizing. No, and you need to baptize me, Jesus. And Jesus insists, he says, no, no, I need, I need to be baptized. He says, it's all just, just to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, it's all part of God's plan. This is the right way to do this. Jesus knows that his being baptized is part of the Father's plan. By, because by being baptized, what's he doing? He's associating himself with sinful humanity. He's putting himself in the same boat as everyone else. He's saying, all of you, all of us, we need to be baptized. We need to be cleansed from our sin. We are sinful. We need something happening. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm going I'm to come and I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be baptized as well. John's saying, why do you do that? You don't need to do that. Jesus said, no, I need to do this. To fulfill the Father's plan. I need to do this. Because this is what I'm called to do. This is all what it's about. He associates himself with us. With sinners. He places himself among the guilty. Not for his cleansing, but for ours. Not for his sin and guilt, but for ours. Not because he feared the Father's wrath and was going to be under it, but to save us from it, ultimately by taking it to himself. This point where Jesus gets baptized, he's pointing us right to the cross. Once again, he's going to stand in our place. He's going to identify himself with us. And he's going to tell on what we deserve. <coughs> That's why Jesus needed to be baptized. Because that's why he came. And we 
when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven comes and says, This is my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus willingly submits himself to the plan of the Father, to the plan of salvation, by identifying himself with human sinfulness, and God the Father is pleased with the Son's commitment to be the servant saviour of the world. And Mark says, he looked up and he saw the heaven being torn open. Heaven opens. The barriers between earth and heaven are torn down. God is in our midst. God is on the loose. There's a cry that comes in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 1, which is, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would tear the heavens apart, God, and you would come down. And it says, when Jesus came and was baptized, the heavens were torn apart. God's come. He's come. He's answered the cry of Isaiah's heart. And when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't heaven that was torn open, but we read that it was the curtain in the temple, again, separating us from God. The curtain in the temple is torn apart. We're both saying the same thing. The way to God is open. It's open. Not because we have torn it apart, but because God in his heaven and in his glory has torn it apart and come down and lived with us and died for us. The way to God is open because of what Jesus has done. We can now know God. We can know God. And we still baptize people today. Most of us probably have been baptized. But baptism now isn't a baptism of just of repentance like John was. That's part of it. That's part of it. We say we're dying to our old life. We're turning away from our old life. But now we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we repent of our sins. We turn away from those. But now Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins by identifying himself with us on the cross. He's died for our sins. And not only that, he didn't stay in the grave. We've been singing about this morning. He was raised up to a new life. He still lives today, having ascended to the Father. So we go down into the baptismal waters, and we're saying, yes, we're dying to our old life, but we are rising up to a new life that we have found in Christ. We've got a new life. We've got hope. Because Jesus is alive. And he reigns. And we will be with him again. And to help us live a life of victory over sin, then he fills us with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. Maybe you've received water baptism, but you haven't received the drenching of the Spirit. You know, don't miss out. Don't miss out on all that God has promised. Christ needs to permeate the whole life. We need cleansing from sin. We need empowering for godliness. We need the power to stand against temptation and sin. Because temptation and sinfulness, while we're living on this earth, is still here. We're all still going to be tempted. And here again, Jesus is making a way. Actually, John made a way for Jesus, but Jesus is making a way for us. Jesus makes a way for us. He makes a way for us to come to God, and 
this last little bit here in Mark, in the bit of Mark that we read, Jesus is making a way for us to withstand temptation, to be able to stand against sin. So, immediately after his baptism, it says the Spirit sends Jesus out into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted. Seems strange. Why would the Spirit do that? Why would God send Jesus out to, to meet Satan, to be tempted? I don't get it. Well, we start to see it because we think this is part of God's plan. Because Jesus is making a way for us. For us to be able to withstand temptation, for us to stand against sin now, Jesus needs to have done it. He went ahead of us. He won the victory. So in the desert, hell opens up for Jesus. He's facing the onslaught of hell. The wilderness, the place of danger, it was known as the place where Jesus, demons live. And the Spirit sends Jesus out to face everything that the power of evil and darkness can throw at him and will throw at us. And Jesus was tempted to give in to the power of sin. And we can read about all of those temptations again in other Gospels. We read more detail in Matthew than we read about in Mark. And you can read about that yourself. How he was tempted in which ways. But he didn't give in. He didn't give in to the temptation. And if Jesus had failed, we would have had no hope. If Jesus had failed, how would we have hoped to overcome that temptation? But he didn't fail. In the power of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, he was victorious. So we can be too. He was fully human. He was fully tempted. Hebrews, Hebrews 4, chapter 15 says Jesus the Son of God let's hold firmly to him for we do not have a high priest but Jesus who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without Jesus is identifying with us it's like, he's not, Jesus isn't some model that is just like, wow, we could never achieve that. He's not like some sports star who can do these amazing plays or whatever, and we're just like, whew, we could never do that. Jesus has come and identified himself with us. He's come as a human, he's humbled himself, he's given up all of that that he was. And he says, and now, as a human, going in the power of the Spirit and I'm facing the onslaught of the enemy. He, he can empathize with us. He knows what we're going through. He knows because he's been through it. without sin because he was born of the Spirit. The most important factor in fighting temptation for us is to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. We can't do it without we can't do it without God's help. We need to receive God's spirit. Do it in our own strength? No chance. No chance. Martin Luther was once asked, how do you overcome the devil in your life? And he answered this, he said, when the devil comes knocking on the door of my heart, my heart and asks, who lives here? He says, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but now he's moved out. Now I live here. Now who's going to answer the door 
the devil. We have Christ living in our heart. So what do we do? Oh, the enemy's at the door. I can handle it. I'll go, Jesus, you just stay there. I'm good. I'll answer. No. Actually, we say, Jesus, oh, I need you. Spirit of God, we need you. Come face it. Well, he's been there before and he's won the victory. And he'll win the victory again in our life. We have God's Spirit in our hearts. So right at the start of Mark's Gospel, right at the start of these first 13 verses, we have, in a way, a summary of the whole Gospel. We have a summary of all that Jesus came to do. We see the truth that everyone has a heart that deviates away from God and towards evil. We see that we need to repent. We need to make a decision to turn away from that force. And yet we see with Jesus there's hope. In Jesus there's hope for us. We see that even though Jesus was sinless, he chose to identify himself with sinful humanity in his baptism and again on the cross. We see that heaven is open to us. Heaven's been torn in two. God has come down through the work of Jesus. And we see that there's this promise of the Spirit to transform us and to strengthen us. And we see that by the Spirit we have strength and power to live a life where we can resist temptation. It's all there. In the first 13 verses. It's all there. Amazing. Amazing. If you don't know that power, the same power, Ronnie well, was reminding us of it on Wednesday night, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. The same power by which Jesus was temptation is available to us. If you don't know that, you can today. We've already prayed for people, but you know what? We're going to finish in a second. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you before you go. Now, don't walk out of here and say, I'm going to face the enemy on my own. I can handle it. Do you know what? You can't. You can't. Receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. We'd love to pray for you to be filled and strengthened. Some of you this morning have realised you need help. You need God's help. You can't sort it out yourself. You can't figure out your life yourself. You've come to accept, like C.K. Chesterton, you are what's wrong with the world. That's tough to realise. And today is the day that you're going to turn away from all of that. And you're going to turn towards God. Believe you will. Believe the people today we're going to make that decision. And you're not just going to come and say, watch me, clean on the outside, and I'm going to do my best. Because Jesus is here, and he's come, and he'll give you that power to live a new life, and you'll know God. Today's the day. <coughs> today is the day to receive his mercy. Today is the day to receive forgiveness. Today is the day to come into a living relationship with God, because heaven is now open. Today's the day to be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to pray. And then we're probably done, but it might well be God's knocking. Father God, Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your plan of salvation. I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus. You didn't just leave us alone. 
Well, you didn't just look on us and say, well, you, you welcome sin into your life. You handle it yourself. Heaven didn't remain closed. Lord, we know our need of you. That cry, Lord, will you rend the heavens? Will you tear the heavens apart and come down because we need you? Oh, God, I thank you that happened on that day in history when Jesus got baptized. I thank you he stood in our place in baptism. I thank you he stood in our place on the cross. And I thank you there's hope. There's hope of a new life. There's hope of power. We can receive your spirit, God. Lord, come and fill us all afresh. Lord, those who know you, those who know you and have sometimes got into the habit of just going and answering the door ourselves and not, not saying, Spirit of God, I need you. Lord, fill us with your